This podcast is produced in partnership with Free2, a communications and digital agency for the charity world. We enable impact for good through thoughtful communication and efficient use of digital. Find out more at freed2.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Leadership Podcast with myself, Sim Dendy, and with my co-host... Uh, Ed Perry. Hello. Nice to um, be with you again, Sim, uh, and really excited to be kicking off this new season. Well, here we go today. We have got a special treat for you today. We have with us Sir Gary Streeter. Gary is one of the longest serving MPs, the ninth apparently in line for the longest serving MP, having been first elected to Parliament in 1992, representing the people of South West Devon. Gary, with his wife, Jan, have lived in the local area since 1979, having two grown-up children, four grandchildren, all of whom live locally. Before entering politics, Gary was a partner in a large local law firm and served on the Plymouth City Council for six years, two of them as chairman of housing. Since being elected as an MP, he has held several ministerial and front bench posts, including chairing various committees in the House of Commons. Gary's also a regular participant in his local church in Plimpton and the chair of Christians in politics um, in London. In the New Year's Honours list in 2019, he was awarded a knighthood for his public service and the same year was re-elected once again as an MP. And as he himself has said, he has the energy and passion to continue to be a local voice at Westminster at a time when his experience we needed more than ever. Gary, thank you so much for having uh, for being on our podcast today. It's great to be with you, Sim. Thank you. And so first thing I want to say is this is our first night we've ever had. I mean, that sounds like, you know, some sort of line for a movie, but you're the first one we've ever had anyone night on the show. So welcome. Do we call you Sir Gary or just Gary? Or have you got used to this yet? Now that I've parked my horse outside in the corridor, you can just call me Gary. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Bless you. I've, I've met Gary a few times through various prayer meetings we've had at uh, Paul Cullis House next to the House of Commons, but it's so good to have you with you with us. Um, you are, as we said uh, in the introduction, you're a local MP, that's your main role in South West Devon, but you've been there for over 30 years, you were saying earlier. How, what is it that made you decide to get into politics? What was the thing that kind of got, this is something I've just got to do? Yeah, well, it, it certainly wasn't my idea, Sim. Uh, I, I got saved. I, I grew up in a non-Christian home, a lovely, loving home in uh, Devon, in a f- farming f- from a farming background. Uh, but cutting a long story short, um, in 1978, I married Jan. She was a Christian. I was not. And within a year, I started to explore the Christian faith myself. Was convinced by the evidence. Became a Christian in June '79, in a ramshackle old former Boy Scout hut in South East London called Down and Way Christian Centre. Um, gave my life to Jesus then, uh, and that was the best decision I ever made. Um, and then sort of, but life sort of carried on, although, you know, I was quite a changed person. But it was when I got, we, we moved to Plymouth and got stuck into this uh, law firm, as you've mentioned. Um, but at the age of 30, during 1985, seems that will seem a long time ago to some of your listeners, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, the Lord was un- clearly unsettling me. And every time I opened the word, the, the words law and justice were jumping out at me. And I was becoming very unsettled and came to the view that God was calling me to something, but it's very frustrating because I didn't know what it was. And the elders of the church, which was a charismatic house church based in Plymouth, said, yeah, yeah, we, we recognize there's a calling on your life, but we don't know what it is either. So that's very frustrating. And in the end, Jan said to me, 
like like most husbands, I'm a man under authority. She said, just go away. Don't come back till you've heard from God. I'm just sick of you. All this sort of, you know, what? I, I am a man always in need of a plan. So I'm a pretty hopeless human being when I haven't got a plan. And, and so off I went, prayer and fasting, Long another long story I'll tell you another time. Came back at six o'clock and she said, have you heard anything? And I said, yes. I believe God is calling us into politics. And she went, oh, no. And we knew nothing about politics. I was 30. To my shame, our church was very inward-looking. You know, as long as we had good house groups and great meetings, it was fine. We didn't know about the community of Plymouth. We didn't know what was going on in the country. I, and that, But that's how it started. It was started with a call. And I said to my partners in the law firm on the Monday morning over coffee and donuts, I'm getting involved in politics, but I don't know which party to join. And that was the first political utterance I made. And five, six years later, I'm a member of parliament. So there you go. Wow. Wow. What an amazing story. And, you know, from, for, I I had no idea of that. And I was definitely not expecting you to say that. And so it's kind of, it feels like that this must have been then 30 years of living out your calling. Um, That's, that's an incredible sort of, testimony to start start off with you uh, one of your roles uh, as a christian in the house of commons is chair of christmas in parliament so um you were called into being a politician you're a prominent christian in parliament how does that group work and what's the vision behind it yeah well we've we exist really it's an all-party group it's called um and we exist really to encourage and equip christians from all parties of all denominations, wherever they are on their journey uh, with God. And of course, having been here such a long time, and I've been chairing it now for about, I think it's 12 years, no one can quite remember. So in the early years here, I was sort of learning my trade as a member of parliament and, and as Sim said, you know, some ministerial roles and shadow cabinet and so on. But it's clear to me now, looking back on all of that, that the, the whole the whole purpose of this calling was to be involved with Christians in parliament, because we've seen... God really moved. We've seen, you know, a real flourishing here. So we're, we're here to encourage and equip members of Parliament from all, all backgrounds. Um, we encourage, we have Bible studies. We have fellowship. We encourage people into fellowship groups. We have outdoor speakers coming in to tackle, you know, issues of the hour, the environment or artificial intelligence and whatever, you know. And the great thing is if we invite a top professor at Oxford to come in and talk about what they nearly always come because it's Parliament, so they want to come. Uh, we have a national parliamentary prayer breakfast uh, with with prominent speakers from around the world. And last time, it was very encouraging. We had, a, I think, over 140 members of parliament attended that. And we've, in recent years, we've been encouraging church leaders in a constituency to invite their member of parliament, you know, to come half a dozen of them to come themselves, uh, sit at the table with their member of parliament, build a relationship, and so on. So all that's been going pretty well. And um, yeah, we are deeply encouraged. Um, just to, uh, oh, sorry, go on. Sorry, just yeah, we just want to follow up with that. And because from the outside, when you read the news, sometimes you can kind of think of Parliament to so beyond the traditions as a fairly godless place. But mm. you're painting a picture of something that's rather thriving and um, faith-filled. Is that is that the case? Is that how you reflect on well, it? I mean, the the number of colleagues who are active in supporting Christians in Parliament events would be in the region of five or six dozen. So, you know, mm. 50 or 60 colleagues are actively involved. There's always, a, even in any church, there's people on the fringes, aren't there, that you always yes, want to encourage in and, yeah, and yeah. say people on the journey. And that's, 
I, nothing encourages me more than to see someone over a few years really come alive in their Christian faith mm. um, from, you know, what was perhaps a traditional background or, or, or a sort of fairly nondescript background. Um, so there is this beating heart of faith at, the, at, the, at Parliament, but of course there are 650 of us here so we're talking about sort of maybe 10%. Um, and we aren't, we're not here as a group, Christians in Palms are not here to come up with corporate policy. We're here to encourage and stand with colleagues as they go about their business. And that's mm. tough enough, as, as, as you can imagine. And what I've noticed over the years is that God has called some to be, you know, just brilliant workers on certain campaigns. I mean, Fiona Bruce comes to mind. She's just come back from, she heads up this thing, the thing about uh, global religious freedom, which are lots of, governments have sort of signed up to and she's come back mm. to a major conference in the in, in the Czech Republic. And, you know, that's her thing and she's very passionate about it. It's wonderful. Others are called to high office. You know, we've had members of our group uh, in, in the cabinet, uh, st still have, and in you know, higher office than that. But it's it's a, it's for God to decide, I think, what the individual calling and, and uh, responsibilities are for each of us. We're here to encourage that. Uh, and we're pretty non-judgmental, and we just want to wave people forward and encourage them in their walk. It's quite an achievement, Gary, because I've got this impression of you all sitting, you know, in, in two rows facing each other, um, <laughs> sort of mirroring, because I'm thinking we talk about Christian unity, but the images often we see into Parliament is is disunity, oh. and it's almost deliberately designed to create sides. There's the side in government and the side that's not in government yeah. and and to be able to have people in room together that that have a common faith but have very different views on how their faith is outworked i'm just intrigued by how any kind of christian unity brother sister kind of biblical teaching flows through that when obviously you're very much you go into the chamber and you have very different views yes i mean it's a pity that most people see Parliament as at Prime Minister's questions because then it is very tri tribal. And it's that's theatre, really. It hasn't got an awful lot about running the country, though it does test the mettle of the Prime Minister of the day, and, and that's what it's all designed to do. Um, but most of our sessions are not like that. People are making thoughtful speeches and being courteous to the other side. And, of course, select committees um, are very very much cross-party and people are working together to dig, at, you know, dig away and get to the truth and hold the executive accountable and so on. Um, so uh, it's, it's a pity that our shop window isn't entirely representative of what this place is like. And there are strong friendships across the divide, not just amongst Christians, but all sorts of people. And what tends to happen, if you go on an international trip with someone, you know, an important parliamentary fact-finding trip to the Bahamas, shall we say, you know, you're with labour colleagues, a couple of your own colleagues for I don't know, five days or something, you just get to know each other very well, you become friends, and those friendships endure. Um, yeah, it's a good thing. And so tell us a bit about the um, the prayer breakfast from last year, 2022, um, because I, I remember watching the news the day after the prayer breakfast, and there was this moment, Les Isaacs had been your speaker that year, and he challenged about how we lead, and, and our podcast is all about authentic leadership. And I remember mm -hmm. that moment where an MP stood up and just said, and re re sort of reflected on what they'd heard in that breakfast. And it was yeah. a bit of a start of the end of the, the the Boris Johnson era. Do you remember that moment? And I'm sure for you, sitting there, probably a bit confused over whether we should be pleased that the the, the breakfast had created this kind of almost this thought process for somebody, or whether uncomfortable that you'd been brought into the spotlight a little bit in that space. How was that from your angle in, in that sort of upheaval moment that took place yeah. over the next few days? 
I think it made it all very real. I mean, Les Isaac spoke very powerfully about integrity in public life and onto other things. And my colleague, Sajid Javid, he was the guy who started. He's not he's not a Christian, though he, he went to Exeter University with two, two very well-known Christian MPs and they all formed a very tight friendship together. So he's heard the gospel many times and he's just a deeply wonderful human being. But he was challenged about staying in government when there were issues of integrity, which we don't need to go into now at the at the highest level. And so he did mention that in his personal statement following his resignation. Then, of course, Rishi resigned shortly thereafter. Uh, and that did bring the House of Cards down. In my opinion, good, because, you know, isn't it encouraging we live in a country where integrity still matters at the heart of government? Because you couldn't say that about probably two-thirds of the countries on mm. this planet. So, you know, you can have all the gifting in the world, but if your character is flawed uh, and you, you can't walk with integrity, you, you don't survive. Uh, so that was, I thought it was a pretty wonderful lesson. And it's just great that um, speaking the truth to power, which we often is a phrase we often like to use, well, it happened and it had pretty strong consequences. Yeah. Thank you, Gary. Mm. Yeah, that's... Um... That's a wonderful thing to reflect on, isn't it? And it kind of leads us on, really, to to talk about that balance that you must have to tread sometimes when you're kind of navigating faith and your responsibilities as an MP as part of a party. Um, and that must have, over the 30 years that you've been doing this, led you down some sort of contentious or moral issues. Um do you always have to follow what your party says? Have you always done that? How's no. that worked out for you? No, I, I, you, you don't have to. I mean, we're, we're, I think it's, it's worth your listeners realising that um, if if Gary Streeter stood as an independent back in 1992, I wouldn't have got elected. Mm. So people are electing so, yeah, someone who's part of a team. And um, the, the key thing about making sure you don't fall out with your side more often than is necessary is to pick the right team to join. and. Again, over the years, I've, I've helped, well, I don't know if I've helped, but I've tried to guide many young people who come to me and say, I, I feel God's calling me into politics, what should I do, what should I do? And, and the first thing is, well, you should join the political party that most aligns with your outlook on life. And if you do that and you become a member of parliament, then most of the time you will agree with the policy decisions that are being made. Now, well, on top of that, we have a conscience issues, free vote issues. So most of the classic... I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm doing my finger inverted commas here now. Um, <laughs> Christian issues, which I don't like that phrase. So I think everything is a, an issue that God is interested in, you know, mm. war to poverty to everything, uh, not just sort of, you know, life issues or moral issues, maybe even far from it. And I think my good friend, well, not my good friend, but Tim Keller, who I, I greatly ad admire as a speaker. Obviously, he's now gone to be with his saviour. But learning from his teaching, he was he would always contrast Christianity versus religion, Christianity versus morality. So I'm 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 big on that too. But basically, um, there are there are free vote issues around some of these areas, which mean you can just do what what you like. But when I was first elected, my wife and I sat down. We we made a little act together that I would I would pick conscience first, constituency second, and party third. And actually, and we anticipated it being a bit more turbulent than, than it has turned out to be, because I've, I've voted against my party nine times in 30, nearly 31 years. Well, I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't, I don't know if there's a measurement, <laughs> of, but that's the reality of it. Um, so that's not too bad. I think basically I am a natural team player. The t is, I'm in the team. I'm elected because I was in the team. 
Uh, and you should have a very good reason, normally to do with your conscience or your constituency, if you're going to vote against what the team is doing. Hmm. Which which must be so difficult because I can just imagine, you, you know, the idea of representing, you said they're representing your constituents. Well, hmm. your constituents are, are very varied. They don't all think the same thing. No. Um, and, and you're trying to honestly re represent them. You're also trying to represent your faith. You're trying to represent, you know, what you believe is the right thing to do personally. And I'm just thinking the conflict around some of those, like you say, maybe not Christian issues. I, I love that idea that everything's a Christian issue. I think that's a really helpful comment. Um, but those ones that kind of come up in our minds are the ones that are kind of more tricky. Yeah. And how you wrestle um, with that. I'm just, you know, have there been some tough, I mean, we hear the stories kind of probably, you know, over-dramified around the whips and what they do and to persuade people to, but have there been some moments you've had to really push back when you've held on something quite strongly against maybe the party you're part of? Yes, I have. I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote first about, you know, constituents don't always think the same thing. I remember one Saturday morning, and this is the early days before someone went and invented the internet and emails and all that sort of stuff. So opening the post on Saturday morning myself in, in my office, and there was a big issue at the time about whether tail, a dog should have their tails docked or not. I can't remember the detail now. And there was a letter from a vet's practice in my constituency saying, for goodness sake, it's absolutely essential that the tails are docked. And the very next letter I opened was from another vet's practice in the constituency saying, it's absolutely crucial that tails are not docked. And you just hold this in your hand and go, well, what am I supposed to do here? And the answer is Ned and Burke made this very clear many, many years ago. Our, our responsibility as members of parliament is to uh, vote according to our judgment, to act according to our own judgment. And the beauty of our system is if the constituents don't like it, they can get rid of you within three or four years. And, and many times they do. So you know, the, I think our democracy works pretty well. But I, well, I do remember one, I've, there have been several times, but, but in the end, as I say, I've, I have voted against the party nine times, but there was one time in particular in my first parliament when the government decided to cut education spending, and I was a PPS, a parliamentary private secretary, um, to, which is basically uh, first rung on the ministerial ladder. I can't remember who I was PPS too now, but anyway. Um, and I decided I was going to resign. I wrote a letter of resignation. John Major was the prime minister. We, and then he called all the ministers and PPSs into a big room uh, late that night. I had my resignation letter in my pocket. And he said, something big is going down in Northern Ireland tomorrow. So I just want us all to stay together as a team. He had no idea I was about to do this. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be really horrendous. So we just got to, you know, work together and come come through it. And I can't remember now what it was, but it was a pretty turbulent day the next day. And so I walked out that room, took my letter out of my pocket, ripped it up, put it in the nearest bin and just walked away. So I didn't resign over education spending. I still wonder now whether that's the right thing to do or not. I don't know. But something else happened that made me think, well, you know, because in those days, well, as, as is the case now, the media will pick up on any... You know, if you do something wrong, you're suddenly a senior Tory or, you know, it might be the most lowly PPS, but if you resign, you know, top Tories mm. and all that sort of stuff. So it would have rocked the boat even more. So, yeah, I, I didn't do it. I'm happy with that. But, um, you know, in a parallel universe, I might have just carried on and resigned anyway. Mm. I think it's very interesting. It's very easy from the outside looking in to kind of say, oh, well, you know, especially when you look at the really contentious issues that we're dealing with in the news all the time today, you know, immigration, those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, to say, well, how can you? I mean, I ask myself, I think, you know, like, how could I? How, I don't know what I would do in, in no. that kind of um, 
uh, environment and when I'm, you know, have to take a side or have to back one thing or another. But you, what I'm hearing is that you have managed to sort of navigate and tread a path of um, authenticity, but also compromise when when necessary. And and the team playerness is yeah. is really coming through. Um, some people might say, well, does that mean you've had to compromise your faith to a certain extent? What would you say to that? Um, I, I suspect the answer is yes, but I reckon that any Christian working in any workplace in the 21st century faces similar challenges. Because, mm. you know, we're living in a, let's face it, there's about 7 of us who, 7% of us, not 7, 7% of us who regularly go to church in the UK. Um, and, and let's also admit that some of those are just going through the motions, they're there because they've their parents were there and they've always been there and, and they're now in their 80s and they, you know, that's all fine. But so the vast majority of people in our country are religiously illiterate. They don't understand the faith motivation. Uh, they're living a pretty secular life. Um, you know, we, we can't expect for that little tail to wag the dog. I think, you know, often Christians will say to me, well, how can you as a Christian do such and such and such and such? Mm. And the answer is, well, I have to exercise my own judgment on this. Um, I remember when I've been very blessed here to meet with a group of five other MPs almost all the way through, two, uh, two Labour, two Conservative, one Lib Dem, one DUP, and we glowed in under the name of G6. And there was one, it must have been about 20 years ago because of the issue, but there was one morning when we met to pray and we shared our lives together. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then on a free vote issue, that night, on a subject well known to some of your listeners, uh, three voted one way and three voted the other way, and that that really, for a period, that was kind of well. How if you are a Christian, you have to believe this on this issue. I was a much younger man then, um, and that it came. To, so I had to choose: either these guys are not real Christians. Well, hang on a minute. I meet with them. I love them. I pray with them. They, they are. They are real Christians. They believe in Jesus. They talk about you know what or. It's legitimate on what you might call secondary issues to have a disagreement with fellow Christians and can reach a different view as to what's right and what's wrong. And you just have to accept it. And you have to embrace the fact that uh, people, you know, I'm just going to turn down that bell as the cross is starting for the day. Um, I think I, as you get older, you have to embrace the fact that we can reach a different conclusion on different issues, not not on the key issues of, you know, was Jesus divine? Or, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about secondary issues, political policy issues. Um, but then we have to learn to disagree well. And that's one of the things we've been learning here at Christians in Parliament. We say that kingdom is bigger than tribe. We learn to disagree well, but we understand that we're coming from a different background and we'll reach different conclusions. That was a very long answer. I apologise. No, no, that's really insightful. Thank you. And, and you know, how should then Christians you know, get involved in politics? Um, would you you still be calling them to do that? I assume you would. Yes, I, I most certainly <laughs> would. We think, what, what is politics? It's about how we make decisions about almost everything. You know, when we go mm -hmm. to war, how much money to raise, how we look after our elderly people, whether we allow, you know, um, assisted dying, Everything, politics is everything. Therefore, why would you want men and women of faith and values to be excluded from mm. that forum? And I'm afraid for much of the last century, probably as a result of the loss of confidence in the Christian church, as a result of the First World War, maybe historians can uh, opine on that. But for most of the last century, we were absent um, from the political decision-making of this country. And when 
I first got called, oh, very clearly called in 1985, extra 86 to into politics and to start sharing that in Christian settings. People say, well, how can you possibly be a Christian uh, and involved in politics? It's, you know, it's too dirty. You, you'll be corrupted. And so on. Well, I think there's been a sea change in church since then. We understand that not only we can be involved, we should be involved. We should be involved. Why? Well, to serve our country, to make a difference. Are we trying to make create a theocracy where everyone is? No, we, we tried that with Oliver Cromwell, didn't go too well. No, we're just here because God wants us to love our country, love our, our neighbours, get involved at every level of society, serve, do our best. It's messy. We'll make mistakes. We'll get things wrong. You can be elected for a period and then lose your seat. What, what's all that about? Um, so, yeah, it's messy, but definitely people should get involved. And I think the key thing is, it's great to have a sense of calling. It's, it is a difficult enterprise, but it's great to have a sense of calling. So anyone out there listening, listening, well, I, I think God might be tapping him on the shoulder. Seek him for a clear sense of calling first, and then there are things that can be done. And there's a great guy out there called Andy Flanagan who runs Christians in Politics, which sits under also under Christians in Parliament. Um, Andy, go to his website, Christians in Politics, wonderful man, based next to now, and... Uh, he he will put you on the right track if you want to get involved. And that's really helpful, Gary, for those who are listening and think about that, because I know that for many people I've spoken to about politics and how do Christians get involved, the one thing that comes up over and over again is the area around exposure on social media. Mm. You know, now that's changed even in recent years. And how do you manage that? Because people say outrageous things about people they've never met before because they either have voted a certain way or just they're affiliated with a party yeah. or just liked someone else's social media post. And suddenly there's this massive kind of almost descending yeah. of online trolls. How do you personally and, and how does your family, because they're probably more defensive of you than you are of yourself almost, how does, you know, your wife and children um, and even grandkids maybe be watching granddad do yeah. this stuff and go, how do they cope? How do you cope with that kind of horrendous behaviour towards another human being? Well, I think it is a very real issue. Um, and particularly an issue for female MPs who seem to attract more trolling and aggression and vile comment than, than males, which is, I don't understand that. But there we are. Um, I mean, there is a mute button. I've learned, I found it quite quickly. I, um, I, I mean, I look, I, seeking personally, I've always enjoyed pretty strong self-esteem. I grew up in a wonderful nurturing home. Um, and my parents, you know, my, my dad came to watch every rugby match I ever played at home, uh, even though he was a busy farmer. Um, never really, I've gone off, off piece here, but let me continue the story anyway. Don't remember him ever, say, ever saying, son, I love you. But actually, he was there watching me all the time, encouraging me all the time. Basically, that's what he was doing, was loving me. So I, I, I voiced out good about myself. My wife and, and children take the mickey out of me as a result of that, because, of course, that can be that can come quite close to overconfidence. And if you're not careful, that's a problem. But even, even then, if you look at social media on a Sunday night just before you go to bed and someone has tweeted something vile about you, like, like the other day, well, I, don't, I can't use that language really, but, you know, because I had done something, I can't remember what, what the issue was now, but they described me in a certain way that anyone who knows, I am just not that person. How dare you? you know? But so for about 10 minutes, you know, you're angry and lose your peace. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful invention, but it's, it, it's got to be handled correctly. And I think that some simple rules are necessary. Don't, do, don't look at it late at night. 
be very careful what you put out there yourself. So you don't do it after a glass of wine and find the mute button early and use it extensively. Because I'm some people, I had a spat with Gary Lineker, um, I don't know, about five years ago, when someone's treated something absolutely vile about me. Um, and I said, well, and this is why I dislike Twitter, because it gives people a voice they don't deserve. Now, it, that wording was clumsy, I accept that. So he, with his three and a half million followers, <laughs> attacked me for wanting to close down Twitter. Well, I wasn't really saying that, but I could have chosen, chosen my words. I, I just think, you know, when I started in politics, you went to a public meeting. If someone stood up at the back and started effing and blinding and swearing and being disruptive, they would be asked to leave. But on Twitter, they think they can get away with it. And I just, I say Twitter, social media. And they shouldn't. But you've just got to chin up. You can't really be a young member of Parliament these days without using social media. So we've just got to learn how to use it. Um, that's one of the reasons why I, I'm very pleased to retire at next election. Because to be honest, I just can't be bothered with it. You know, for mm. anonymous people to call you all the names under the sun, how dare you? Mm. Mm. Well, Gary, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom with us. A final question, if I may, before you go. Mm. Uh, what what would be the one piece of advice that you would give to um, leaders, people of influence, people working in the public space um, based on your years of experience of doing that exact thing? Yeah, thanks, Ed. That's, that's obviously an important question. Uh, two or three things come to mind. Um, let's never forget the source. You know, there's someone is one that when I sort of meet with younger members of parliament I often will read psalm one about being a tree planted by streams of water meditate on the word day and night you know in other words we can get very busy but let's keep going back to the source of our what wisdom life energy insightfulness love i.e going back to god and his word so that's that's one thing secondly have good people around you I've been blessed with wonderful people around me uh, who understood what I was trying to do, prayed for me regularly. Also, some people sometimes go out for a, a lager and have a laugh, you know. Isn't that a good thing? We need, well, we all need to do that. Sorry, some of your very religious listeners were saying, oh, day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think there's people that you can relax with, have a joke with, as well as people who stand with you, pray with you, and you can go to them and share things. You won't believe how stupid I've been. Guess what I've just said or done? Mm. Um, I think keyword. I'll, I'll finish on this. I think keyword for all leaders is authenticity. Don't try and be someone you're not. Be yourself. I had some great advice. One of the first lunches I ever spoke at in the constituency after I was elected, and a, a very senior councillor came up to me, grabbed me by the arm. He's dead now. God bless him, David Viney. I'll name him because he's gave me great advice. He said, "Gary, I can see you're struggling." Oh, I didn't know that. You, you, you're trying to be someone you're not. You're trying to be William Hague or something. You know, you're trying to be a great orator. You're not. Just be yourself. It's enough. We've chosen you. We love you. We think we're great. Just be yourself. And I've, I think of that often. And um, that's what I've tried to be ever since. Wonderful. Gary, thank you so much for being with us here on Leadership Podcast. We really appreciate your time. We know you're very busy, uh, but thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking to us. It's been a great pleasure. I'll now go and get my horse and saddle off into the distance. Thank you. So <laughs> Gary Streeter, thank you. <laughs> So come on then, Ed, what do you think of that? That was great to have our first ever night. So Gary uh, Streeter <laughs> on. Uh, what are your reflections on some of that conversation? 
Yes, as the hooves uh, fade down the <laughs> corridor. Um, well, I thought I was really, um, really interested in his wisdom and uh, obviously years of experience and years of living faithfully out his faith in a really difficult um, environment to do that. And I was interested beforehand you know, to ask him those questions about how you do you know, find that balance. Because I think, as I said in the interview, kind of I look at it from the outside in and go, I just don't know how I could be a member of some of these parties sometimes and also still maintain a faith. Um, so I found, yeah, I found it very interesting. What, 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 um, what came out for you? I think the whole thing around integrity and character, he talked about how do you make, maintain, you, you know, the calling for the role, but also maintain the character that you possess. And, and I think, how do you, like you say, to continue with good integrity when you're trying to hold on to a, a, you know, a particular view that you may not fully agree with, but you're trying to align your personal values along with your party values, along with your constituents you're representing. I think that's a tough squeeze to live into that that place. But I admired him for it. And and I, I also admire, which maybe it's something to do with my age, I'm admiring people more and more who are who are long in service and for mm. him to be 30 plus years, 31 years in service to the, to the house of parliament and to his constituents is a, is a credit to him. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so right. Because it's so easy to sort of criticize people, isn't it? But actually, uh, you know, to have served uh, his constituents for 30 years and still be there and, and you kind of get the sense that he's ready to retire now. But, you know, he's done a long shift and there is a lot of respect needed for that. I think what really struck me as well was what he said on that point where, you know, all of us, whatever our job in the workplace, are, are balancing a trade-off between our faith and what we believe and maybe what we're asked to do day by day. I mean, maybe you're not, hopefully you're not, Sim, seeing as you're a church leader. But, um, you know, the vast majority of people um, listening to this will be uh, will be in that position. And um, it struck me that the way he deals with that is, uh, as he said, you know, he was called into this. Like, and he can always come back to that. He can come back to the, the source, that calling, that sense of authenticity. Uh, he can come back to the word. And he knows that, you know, this is the place that God's called him to serve. And, you know, he has to sometimes make those difficult decisions um you know for the sake of that calling and uh, i was i was quite impressed by by that as a yeah. response and i think it's interesting because i've always said to christian church leaders when people say to me oh, i feel called to the ministry and working for the church i'll always go down the line of have you got the calling because when the day gets tough you just got to know you can lean onto the calling that god's given mm. to you and it was helpful to hear somebody in a complete different sphere of work mm. answering the question the same way and it makes you realize actually whatever for those of you listening if you're in a role of influence you want to be involved in leadership to have a calling towards your particular area mm. is so important um, I also love the bit around Christian issues. He talked about there's no such thing as a Christian issue. Every issue has a Christian yeah. element to that. And I thought that was a really reminder that we are, there's a broad, um, you know, church of, of activities to get involved with. It's not just one thing that's the only thing that God cares about. Um, so that was great. Mm. Uh, any final thoughts, Ed, for you before we wrap up? Well, I think that's two great little learnings, isn't it? It's, mm. uh, you know, make sure you have a calling. And if you don't know what calling is, invest the time, go speak to some people, spend some time in prayer, reflecting on it, fasting, like Gary said he did. Um, and then uh, the other one, it's, a, it's yeah, it's not, it's 
life isn't siloed, isn't it? It's it's not like your Christian life and the rest of your life. It's how you live that all out. So, yeah, um, really enjoyed that. Excellent. Well, we hope you listening enjoyed this episode with Sir Gary Streeter, MP. We believe the church needs honest and authentic leadership who put people that they lead before personal ambition, just as Gary has ex- exampled perfectly. We want as many Christian influence and leaders as possible to be able to hear the lessons from this podcast. So if you're listening, please do follow us on social media at lead- the Leadership Podcast UK, at the Leadership Podcast UK on Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with someone else and encourage them in their journey of leadership. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is produced in partnership with Free2, a communications and digital agency for the charity world. We enable impact for good through thoughtful communication and efficient use of digital. Find out more at freed2.com.